we do have a long way to go to get all of the people registered of voting age. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We will turn out to vote this cycle because we all understand what's at stake. Let's head to Arizona where Republicans are recounting two million ballots by hand. Hello and welcome to Dead Men Don't Vote. For the pre and post election period, we're going to try and make sense out of election administration news during this volatile period, from debunking conspiracy theories to demystifying the election process, to generally explaining the why and how of elections. I'm Royful Brown, an American in training, and it's my job to bring you a brisk and brief overview of election administration news from around the nation. I'll speak to subject matter experts from OSET and journalists who have written pieces on elections about the significance of their articles on election democracy that have made the national news. Let's jump right in. From Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Why Pennsylvania's county election offices have lost hundreds of workers since 2020. The first resignations began as a trickle. Several elections directors decided to leave or retire due to foreseeable challenges of implementing no-excuse mail-in voting and new voting machines using paper ballots. To help us unpack this piece, we speak to Dana Debravar from OSET, who is the ex-Travis County clerk. She served from 1987 to January 2022. Dana, I'm guessing that uh, this article is going to come as utterly no surprise to you. It talks about uh, what began as a trickle. Several election directors decided to leave or retire due to foreseeable challenges of implementing no excuse in mail voting and uh, the new voting machines using paper ballots. Give us a real sense of how the new mores around the work of election officials is really impacting on the morale of uh, elections official staff around America. We do have a problem. And uh, unfortunately, the problem that we're going to see in 2022 is much more pale than what we're going to see in 2024. So let's start, though, with with just some basics. The field of elections administrator had a lot of folks in it who were retirement age. So elections administrators are no different from any other field in the United States with folks who are experiencing this aging out of the labor market. Just like so many other workplaces, we're getting older and we're retiring. So we start with that phenomenon with elections administrators. And then we add on top of it all of these other extra problems. We actually went through this once before in our history in America around the year 2000, Bush v. Gore. And then the subsequent couple of years when we implemented the Help America Vote Act. A lot of elections administrators just felt like they were not trained, educated, prepared to handle the technical requirements and the electronic requirements of managing the Help America Vote Act, the ADA, extra provisions. They quit. They took other jobs and more qualified people came into the job at that time and it became more technical. So we've seen this wave of elections administrators leave and be replaced once before. So should we be worried then? Is this just a natural ebb and flow? 
this is different. We, we've started out with what should have been a natural ebb and flow, and then we've compounded what started out as a natural problem, and now we've made it much, much worse. Um, and But we're starting out with a group of people who are not normal workers anyway. The people who are elections administrators don't take this job because they're going to make a lot of money at it or because they see it as very prestigious. Most EAs take this job because they love it and because they understand that elections is complicated and they want to see the job done correctly. They have a love for democracy and a love for their communities. And it's not like you plan to go into this field either. A lot of us just are dropped into it because we're in our communities and we're working and somebody needs to do this job. And almost 80 percent of the election officials around the country are women. And most of them will tell you that they took the job and they do the job for the love of it. But it is becoming more complicated now. And the first people who are going to be gone from the job are the ones that have a lower level of satisfaction. The ones who don't get enough support in their local communities, they're not paid well enough, although that's a much less factor. The bigger factor is their local communities don't provide their offices with enough staff or enough support. And that's very commonplace, especially in smaller communities around the United States. For those people, being under some kind of attack that will become the final straw. How do we first notice that, let's say, somewhere is being understaffed? What's the first thing that then goes because there aren't enough election administration officials to really run that, that polling station properly? Well, the Elections Assistance Commission carried a lot of information on the metrics of offices. There are about 10,000 election offices throughout the United States, and most of them, 75% of them, uh, serve communities of 50,000 people or less. That's a big eye-opener because I know most of us, when we think of elections, we think of big jurisdictions and big lines and big campaigns. That's not how most voters live. So it's it's easy to see why elections offices would be overlooked in so many circumstances. If your jurisdiction is not supportive of the office, then those folks are going to feel like they're not appreciated and that nobody appreciates all the hours that they're putting in. If you're looking at somebody that's already having to work 10 and 12 and 14 hour days before early voting even gets underway, those are folks that are vulnerable to further attacks and further appreciation of their job. The damage that gets done, whether it's from somebody attacking them personally or if it's social media that's just generally tearing down everything, it really doesn't matter. Those are the folks who are going to get hit first and get hit hardest. Gotcha. And there are also those communities that don't have the resources to go back and supplement and cure the damage done. Right. What will be the thing uh, which is going to turn the tide back? So instead of the community losing essential workers, it's actually going to gain them. You tell me what it is. I'll wave my magic wand and we're going to right the situation. What is the one single thing which have the biggest impact, would you say? I think we could fix two problems with one wand. 
The thing that really hurts elections administrators the most is the political interference. When your local county judge or your local state representative is bullying and nagging you and calling and putting all kinds of pressure on the elections administrator to do the election in a certain way, do these polling places here, put, you know, put these hours here, hire these certain people to do these certain things. That kind of political interference is, to elections administrators, the most insulting thing to have happen to you. Because for us, small d democracy means that the money and the the programs that we put together for voters are sacrosanct for the voters. And it is the most insulting thing to have those resources manipulated for the purposes of a particular campaign or for somebody's preferred candidate. That will send somebody out of office faster than anything. So here's what I suggest. Instead of those political officials nagging and hammering on election officials to use election resources for their personal purposes, no, what they should be doing is they should be telling every news and radio program they can possibly get on how wonderful their local election officials are, what a pleasure and a an honor it is for their communities, for people to serve in that capacity, and that they would consider it an honor to shake the hand of the people who work in elections. We would kill two birds with one stone if we could take the politicians out of tampering with election resources and put them to work appreciating election officials. Dana Debravar, thank you for that uh, very clear and obvious solution to a problem which feels intractable, but actually isn't. Thank you. Thank you. You're so good. You're so good. From Des Moines Register, Opinion, Election Administration is Nonpartisan, by Paul Pate and Tahisha Way. In this fast-paced age where all forms of content can easily spread with a simple click of a button, it's crucial now more than ever to ensure your election information comes from trustworthy, reliable sources. As the chief election officials for the states of Iowa and New Jersey, we've got you covered. I'm speaking to the Secretary of State from Iowa, Paul Pate. Every Secretary of State, one of their chief responsibilities is the the conduct of elections and the enforcement of of rules, etc., This must be game time for you with only two weeks before the election. Well, it is. We get one shot at this, so you got to do it right. And uh, we're in the process. Early voting has started in our state and in many others. And so we're processing those. And it's kind of giving us a good indicator of what kind of participation we can anticipate for November 8th as well. And how do you gauge that things are going well so far? Um, What what are the things that you can look at? Or do you just, uh, just hope for the best? Well, it's a combination of things. Uh, clearly, we want things to go smoothly in the sense that those who are voting early, that their ballots or requests are getting sent out to them and then folks are having uh, no problems and getting them filled out in return. We're doing satellite voting. Uh, those have been going uh, very well. Those started on, uh, on Tuesday of last week. And uh, we're seeing a very brisk turnout. Uh, so if those trends continue, we probably will see another record voter turnout here. So... I think that's a good sign. You wrote an article with Secretary of State for New Jersey, Tanisha Way. Why did you feel the need to do this article, have this joint declaration? Well, I think it's important people know it's a bipartisan approach when we look at elections. Uh, As a commissioner of elections or secretaries of state, we're the referee. We don't wear a team jersey. Yes, we might be Republican or we might be a Democrat, 
But when it comes to administering those elections, we have to be the person who follows the rules that have been established, whether you know, that's laws of the land, and uh, we don't get to make them up. Uh, and I think that's also a way to reassure uh, the voters of that. Uh, the integrity is, is intact because uh, they know those rules going into it and they, they get comfortable with that. And, and frankly, when things get changed midstream, that's when people start getting a little more concerned about what's going on. Understood. Now, you're part of the National Association of Secretaries of State, or the NASS, and, and in preparation for the forthcoming election, they've launched the hashtag TrustedInfo2022. Why did they feel the need for this campaign? Well, it was started actually under my watch as president of the National Association, and it was to uh, dispel some of the myths that were being put out there. And uh, we wanted to also assure people of the cybersecurity of elections, because those are two battlefronts we've been battling for some time. And with the, uh, the rampant amount of misinformation that's being put out there, we wanted to assure voters that they could go to a trusted source. And that is your elections professionals. And as I said, we're the referees. So uh, they can count on us not making up these things. And we want to establish the facts and they'll be the judge of whether they uh, have the confidence in uh, the process based on what we're sharing with them. Uh, one of the interesting things which um, I kind of noted in the article was that the NASS kind of teaming up or renewing their collaboration with the American Bar Association to recruit their members to serve as poll workers. Why the ABA? And are you experiencing a crisis in Iowa recruiting poll workers? Well, partnerships are always part of elections. I call it building the choir, whether it be the Bar Association, whether it be the League of Women Voters, whether it be uh, the NAACP, whether it be any of the organizations who have a vested interest in helping people be successful as voters. And poll workers are a crucial part of this. I call them the unsung heroes, your friends and neighbors uh, on a bipartisan basis who are running those elections. And we need over 10,000 of those kind of folks to run our elections here in Iowa. And during COVID, we got a little concerned. Would we have enough people? Because many of our poll workers are of this more senior population and they were more susceptible. Well, what we found by going out and aggressively recruiting, we've been doing that now for some time, uh, we've gotten a great response. And uh, so we have sufficient poll workers and we're comfortable with that. Uh, they've already gone through their training and preparation and they're in the field uh, doing what they do. And I think it's a good uh, feeling for the voters to, again, know that these folks are got their back. They are the eyes and ears of the election uh, in your own uh, polling locations. You over there in Iowa have put together a somewhat comprehensive list of myths versus facts, uh, a way of busting untruths about the security um, of elections. I want to go to uh, number four, which says um, absentee voting by mail is prone to fraud. What have you done in Iowa to secure this uh, important and vital way of voting? Well, there's a couple of factors here. One is uh, because we have voter ID, uh, we have a, a mechanism there. Uh, as you request your absentee ballot, you will have to share that ID number with us. That's a key component. Uh, the other thing that we've done is we have a tracking system online so that voters themselves can track the process, meaning when they request that absentee ballot, they can go online to see if the county commissioner of elections has gotten that request. They can see when it was mailed to them and then reversing that process when they return their ballot, 
they'll be able to go online to see that the county commissioner got that ballot. To me, that's a very important measure because the voter needs to feel confident that did my vote get counted? And from our side of it, because of voter ID and our internal tracking, we can know that only legitimate people who are who they say they are uh, and qualified to be voting are the ones who will be casting that ballot. I know I said one last question, the question before, but there is just one more, only one more. If we could do one thing to give the American public faith that its elections are secure and safe, what would that one thing be? I would just say we need more people to step up and speak to the integrity measures we have in our elections. It's too easy to just pass on uh, rumors or just gut feelings. I respect the passion that people have in their candidates and what's happening, but it doesn't mean they get to make up their own facts. They, they really need to see what we're doing to protect them, because if they don't have confidence in those election results, our republic has fallen. And that means whether it be Russians or Chinese or whoever you want to point the finger at, they will have won the war without firing a single bullet because we handed it to them. So I would just ask the voters to take a hard look at the integrity measures we're putting out there and to have that confidence and we'll work do our very best to earn it. Paul Pate, thank you for coming on to Dead Men Don't Vote. Okay, take care. From the New York Times, some Republicans want to count votes by hand. Bad idea, experts say, by Maggie Astor. Republican county officials, as well as candidates for statewide offices, suggest that counting by hand would be more reliable than machine tabulation. Research shows the opposite. So I'm sat with Jenya Coulter. Jenya, remind us of your vaunted title at OSET. I am the Senior Director of Stakeholder Relations, and I'm also a Senior Elections Analyst for the OSET Institute and Trust the Vote Project. Woof. Right. Now, it's the article that we're looking at today uh, says some Republicans want to count votes by hand. Bad idea, experts say. Why is this such a bad idea? Seems to me, back in our grandparents' day, they used to count votes by hand. If it worked for them, why can't it work now in 2022? It's not that it can't work. Um, Canada does it. A lot of countries in Europe are able to do this. Um, I think some jurisdictions in New Hampshire are able to do a hand count as well. But to be fair, their ballots are not nearly as long or as complicated. That's really what makes in Arizona and places like Los Angeles County, that's what would make a timely hand count almost impossible to do and still meet the certification deadline. These challenges to tabulation machines seem to be coming from some elements on the right. Has there been a time when People on the left and Democrats have questioned their veracity as well. The pendulum shift um, shifted a bit. I remember in 2016, it was the left that was insistent on all hand counting paper ballots. And now it's the right. So it's kind of like, I learned it by watching you, dad. Either way, I can't downshift quite that fast. So I'm just trying to keep track of who wants to hand count and who's fine with ballot tabulators. And what exactly is the problem with with counting by hand. Yes, you've said that it's because the the ballots can be quite long in America, but we do have hand counting specifically for recounts. So why do we have them for recounts if the process is going to be laborious? Problem with people counting everything is people get tired and there's also potential for people to misplace ballots, malicious actors, etc. 
And people also do not have the kind of an attention span that a machine is going to have. So when you have scanners tabulating everything, the count will probably be more accurate and you don't have to worry about paying it overtime. When you have people doing all the counting, now for recounts, you want to make sure that a candidate cannot dispute the results because they've seen the recount with their own eyes that matches the total on the scanner. Gotcha. So obviously people get fatigued and then it takes much longer. Does that then mean that there'll be more challenges actually to election results if we go back to hand counting ballots? There is definitely the potential for more challenges. And there's also the one of the things that can be challenged is the personnel who will be counting the ballots. There are certain jurisdictions that would need anywhere from 15 to 25,000 additional workers in order to complete a hand count. By the way, the largest voting jurisdiction in the country doesn't even have that many poll workers, let alone ballot counters. And of course, obviously, there's, there's certification deadlines that have to be met. And then there's the compromise question in that certain candidates have expect that their race will be counted, but realistically, you could not count a 70-race ballot, every single race, in time for when people are accustomed to hearing election results. It would be complete chaos. And then you, some of the down-ballot candidates would be going, well, why wasn't my race important enough to count? And I think they've got a good point there. Jenny Coulter, uh, thank you for shining a light on this issue where some Republicans are wanting for us to count votes by hand again. The experts say it's a bad idea, and I think so do you. I think it can work for small jurisdictions with limited selection of candidates on the ballot, but for anything over, I'd say, 5,000 voters in a jurisdiction or more than 15 contests on a ballot, I think a scanner is really your better bet. From State Scoop, Mapping Tech is Growing in Election Administration by Benjamin Freed. A research project into the use of geographic information systems by election administrators wrapped up this month, finding that the use of mapping technology in voter registration systems and drawing of precinct boundaries is expected to grow quickly over the next half decade. To discuss this article, I spoke to Chief Technology Officer John Serbes of the Trust the Vote Project and OSET. John, I love maps, always have done, and I love Google Maps. Please explain to us uh, the nuance of this article. How is GIS technology potentially going to help the election administration community? Well, it's already helping a lot. But to understand the impact, I think you need to unpack a little bit the very beginning of that article, because it says mm -hmm. something that I think a lot of folks don't really know what that is. It's called drawing precinct boundaries. It's like, do you know what that is? Do you know what that means, really? Um, well, yeah, isn't it just like drawing lines around streets, around communities and kind of lumping data together? Yeah, kind of. So like, imagine you've got a map of my county, mm -hmm. okay? The whole county, nothing but. And then um, you lay on top of that some lines that divide my county into two parts, uh, one for one congressional district, one for the other. And then you lay another color of lines on top of that that divides it into three different parts for state assembly district and state senate. And then 15 different school districts and the Harbor Commission districts and on and on and on and on. And so you have this crazy quilt of district boundaries. And what you have left, the little holes or the, the individual puzzle pieces in this puzzle, those are precincts. 
everybody inside that little geographic region lives in the exact same set of districts and they are supposed to vote the exact same ballot. And there's literally somebody across the street from me, like where I'm sitting right now, where they vote a completely different ballot, other side of the street, right? So it's really important that election administrators get these precinct boundaries right so that they don't give any voter the wrong ballot and where that voter might vote on something that they're not entitled to. And there's a lot of angst about that with the so-called election integrity you know, crowd these days to really get this stuff right. That's what it's about, and that's why it's important. So the rollout and the implementation of this is going to vary from state to state, from county to county. Would that be a fair assessment? Well, typically counties do this kind of administration individually uh, because of the old-fashioned way. So the next thing I want you to imagine is somebody in a kind of a modern county sitting around with something that looks like Google Maps, but fancier. It's a, it's a geospatial information systems tool. Uh, and they're able to import data and draw lines and view things and whatever. And then imagine somebody else sitting at a desk with a printout of paper that is each line is a list of addresses, like literally. So precinct five has 633 Woodland on it, 635 Woodland on it, but not 664 because that's the other side of the street. And that's the old fashioned way, like literally keeping lists of street addresses and street segments. Now, of course, that's got to be done at the, at the local level because it's only the local people who know this stuff. But it's incredibly labor intensive and it's also not always very accurate. So GIS systems are a huge, huge, huge improvement because it can manage the data for you and can visualize it for you. And if you see something that's not right, you can correct it. So that's great. Should that happen at every individual county level? Well, it could. But I'm hoping that one of the great things about this technology that could make um, election administration easier, cheaper, and higher quality is it might be that at a state level, um, particularly for a big state, state elections organizations could help with that. So you don't have 80 counties buying their own GIS tool and 80 counties training their own GIS expert. That seems kind of redundant. Last question, and maybe this is an obvious one, but I need to ask it anyway. Um, We've had Google Maps since, what, about 2005. GIS and GPS and all these things aren't exactly new. Why has it taken so long for this to become a tool which could be readily available for election administrators? You know, I think there's a really a parallel answer to that for online voter registration, right? We've had web forms where you put your name and address and some stuff in there for what? Decades now, right? Mm-hmm. Why did it take, you know, up until, you know, maybe seven years ago for the early adopters to do that for voter registration? And the answer is, in both cases, election officials are a pretty cautious bunch. They're pretty underfunded. So to do something new has to overcome some inertia. And it usually happens first in jurisdictions that are larger, have more funding, um, have more flexible people. So the reason that this article is talking about this increasing adoption is because the early adopters have shown that the return is worth the effort. The newfangled way actually is easier and over the long haul cheaper and also more accurate and frankly the increasing angst over so-called election integrity 
um, election officials are actually feeling pressure that they've never felt before to get this stuff 100% right. So you don't have a single ballot challenged over basically a mistake in election administration by drawing the wrong precinct boundary. Hi, I'm calling to let you guys know you guys are the best. I live in Arizona and I want to thank you guys for everything that you are doing for America. That was a message from listener Marlisha Elliott. Thank you, Marlisha. Dead Men Don't Vote is very proud to have your endorsement. Keep listening and spread the word about us and the Trust the Vote project. And of course, don't forget to vote. To get a message to the OSET team, to us here at Dead Men Don't Vote, you can do this by going on to SpeakPipe. Go to trustthevote.org forward slash podcast. You'll see the orange button there for SpeakPipe where you can go and record your question and we'll put it on a future episode and hopefully we'll be able to answer it. And lastly, with my begging bowl out, we need your reviews. Go onto Apple Podcasts today and go and write us a review. And if you think we deserve five stars, please give us five stars. We'd like to thank John Sevis, Dana Debovar, General Coulter, Paul Pate, the Secretary of State for Iowa and of course Friend Masters for reading out our headlines. Don't forget, if you have a news story that you would like us to comment on, you can also email that to me at royfield at osetinstitute.org. Dead Men Don't Vote is supported by the Trust the Vote project. Follow us on Twitter, where we are Trust the Vote, or you can follow us where we are also Dead Men Don't Vote. The Trust the Vote project is an initiative of the OSET Institute, Inc., a tax-exempt 501c3 non-profit California Public Benefit Corporation. See you all next week.